0: For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined today by Leanne Hughes. Leanne is an Australian businesswoman, entrepreneur, and high-performance business consultant. She helps leaders create engaging everyday experiences that are so contagious, they scale across teams, functions, and regions. Clients work with Leanne for her energy and unique approaches to provide cut-through strategies for embarking on a change initiative or to shift performance or culture to achieve next level success. Leanne is also the host of both the First Time Facilitator and Leanne Hughes' Work and Live Large podcasts. Leanne, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be here, Kathy. I always love our conversations. Can't wait to chat more with you. Likewise, likewise. I'm really excited to talk to you today about both your own career journey and also the work you're doing today to help people really live and work large and have great impact in what they do. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I'd I'd love to start with your own career. I'd love to just have you kind of give us an overview of your career trajectory. Like, where did you start and what brought you to the work that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, in Australia, there's a sport called netball. And I, I don't think in the US, you know what it is. It's like a combination of maybe European handball and basketball. Um, but I played that at a, at a quite a high level in Australia. And um, later on, like, I think I was around my 20s. I was like, why am I still playing this game? And it wasn't actually about the sport, but it was more about the, the team dynamics. I just love being part of groups and seeing like what groups would perform well and just building the morale of teams. And uh, that's why I ended up studying. I did a business degree and an arts degree in psychology. So um, really just like linking the ideas of, of marketing with um, the group dynamics and how do we actually get high performance as a result of that. So that came from that sporting background. But I've had you know, a few random experiences. I worked in like Accenture, which was very corporate, had a quarter-life crisis. And I joined one of the craziest companies in Australia. We had lawsuits every week. It was a travel company, but we had these really kind of offensive sli- uh, slogans on the back of these camper vans. And it was all learning that word of mouth marketing. And that's where I really got back into professional development. My uh, my, my boss there who, who founded the company, he gave me a, a Jim Rohn's CDs. And we had to do a road trip where I was filming a road trip from Brisbane up to Cairns, which is about, I don't know, 1500 miles. And I listened to this Jim Rohn and I was like, wow. And it got me back on the path of sort of personal, professional development. So from there, I had careers in in marketing, then moved into learning and development. And the good thing about careers is that you always bring the skills that you've captured. So I think what made me really good at learning and development, and you spoke about uh, in my bio before about scaling experiences, was that marketing background. Um, So what I do now, I dropped out of corporate actually about three and a half years ago, started my own solopreneur consulting business. And basically I just, I work on really cool projects, which are all about lifting performance through people. Mm,
0: I love that lifting performance through people. And I can see how, you know, the background from the sports experiences and everything that you did from even a marketing, because like you said, you are really blending that art and science perspective, and then the learning and development and how you're kind of pulling, pulling that through into what you're kind of doing now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize I was doing it to be honest. Um, it's just a natural way, and, and I think that's when we're talking about you know, careers and what you should be doing. It's it's leaning into that natural style of the way that you operate.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. So you, so in terms of. Um... Because sometimes I think, like as we go along in our careers too, we start to have these, you know, we have an experience, we have an aha in that experience, like ooh, what I'm actually really enjoying is this, and so I kind of then lean into that and like find my next experience that kind of deepens that. And so I, I kind of sense from what you were describing that you kind of there were certain threads, but was it like that where you kind of were like ooh, now I'm kind of interested in this, so I'm gonna kind of <laughs> lean into this side of what what my where my
1: interests are taking me. Well, sometimes it's, I mean, I love that phrase, like you never see the label when you're inside the bottle. And I'd love to tell you that, oh yeah, it was completely intentional. And I knew, but sometimes, sometimes, honestly, it's so obvious it's in your face. You cannot see it. Um, What happened was in my old old company, there was a role that came up in workforce development and I was in marketing. I basically just said to my husband one night, oh, Tracy's going on maternity leave. There's this role, they're advertising for it. And he said, you should apply for it. And I was like, what? And I didn't, and when he said that, it was so obvious, but I never even thought of applying for that role. And that was my pivot into learning and development, workforce development. But I honestly, Kathy, I would not have applied for the job if my husband had not said that to me. It just, it wasn't on my radar. And yeah, yeah, so very obvious move, but I didn't see it.
0: Well, and that just to me shows like how important it is. I kind of often advocate, like we need to pay attention, but oftentimes, like you said, it's hard for us to see. And it's why having some outside voices, either working with a coach or friends or a partner, you know, who can reflect and see you, right? And we almost have to be proactive in asking for some of those
1: reflections. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it was just very incidental. I think he was on a job board and it just happens. I thank goodness, because that that literal like five second snippet from him has changed really a lot of what I do now.
0: Mm. Well, and you just mentioned that you decided to go out on your own and we've been having some conversations on the podcast about that and leaving corporate. And I was curious, like to just hear a little bit more, like perhaps like what were the signals that you were wanting that change or ready for that
1: move? And what was it like to make that decision? Yeah. The signals are funny. Uh, the signals were getting emails and feeling exasperated. The signals were driving into work and listening to podcasts all about creating passive income and being a solopreneur. I listened to about 200 of Pat Flynn's podcasts. Um, The signals were when decisions were made, I didn't agree with, I thought, what is the point of this? So all of this was like sort of accumulating, but at the same time, I just didn't feel like I was ready. Like I didn't have enough experience or enough social proof in that. So I felt that uh, I mean, maybe I am unemployable. I just, I, I kind of resist being told what to do. And, and when things that are right that don't make sense don't get approved, I was like, you know, what's, you, know, you can influence so much, but then at the same time, you still have to work within these corporate parameters. At the same time, I was working in a job that was pretty uh, amazing in terms of the opportunities I was given. So it was definitely worth sticking around for. I loved my colleagues. Um, you know, 80% of the time, it was good. I was traveling all around the world delivering leadership training. Um, and then, so I figured out, look, if I want to make this move, Jenny Blake's podcast, who we're, this is how we're, we're connected, uh, in pivot, she talks about a pivot runway. So I gave myself 12 months. And in that time I started a podcast, um, while I was working internally. And the interesting thing about that is the, the purpose of that was to build an audience externally, but what I didn't realize was the side effect is that actually build my brand internally as well? So I catapulted. So like so now I'm currently I was running like I was working for a global uh, mining company. They were flying me to Sydney. I was I was running their executive strategy days. I was immediately a peer of the executive team, just from building my brand. Uh, it was such a cool unintended side effect. So I did that pivot runway. Twelve months it happened. I actually left my job. Uh, at one of my podcast guests, we applied to speak at the Clifton Strength Summit in Omaha and we got selected. So I thought, oh, this is a sign. And the next day I I gave my notice.
0: Wow. Wow. That's such a, a great journey. And I you know, it talks, it speaks to my friend, Philip Van Dusen and I, who did, and I did that series together. we actually talked about that too, kind of like he, he really highlighted that when you start to work on your personal brand and start to do some of these things, it really can elevate you internally within your organization, you know, in addition to the external kind of validation. And it's really smart what Jenny advocates, like really giving yourself that one way and not making this kind of sudden, if you can, right. Not making this sudden shift in this kind of sh- sudden move.
1: Yeah, I, I'm all about the runway, and you know, even just from the just logistical perspective of just saving up enough money, because <clears throat> you can have so much money. But when you quit and you see that bank account dwindling, it really stifles your creativity, your innovation, your ability to take risks. So to have that sort of nest egg to, and the luxury of time is actually really helpful. Plus, with when you have an intention of you that you're leaving, you'll be very committed to building up good, great relationships, and obviously not burning any bridges. So, I mean, that was, it gave me the right platform for sure.
0: Right. Right. Well, I'm kind of curious. I mean, those are great lessons and I'm, you know, you're three and a half years, you said, right. In terms of like, since leaving, are there any other tips, like being on the other side of it or three and a half years in, are there any other sides if people are starting to have some of those signals like you were having, or is there anything that you'd say like, here's what I can suggest you start thinking about?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I I did a two-by-two matrix on this the other day, you know, should you leave or stay at your job? And I think there's a couple, two things that I think are really important. One is, um, is where you're working now, is it aligned with your purpose? And the second thing is, are you growing? And I think if you're continuing to grow, there's lots of opportunities for you to develop. Maybe it's worth like taking that a bit more time and, and learning and developing before you sort of make that exit. And the reason I say that is because I don't think I took advantage of the professional development opportunities that was offered that were offered to me. I was so busy like delivering the work and I think, oh, I could have had like all these cool certifications and all this stuff. Um, but I didn't make time to do that. I, I didn't take advantage of that when I was working internally. Um But if you're in a, then it got to a point where I was looking at my manager's role and thinking, I don't want that job. So, in terms of growth potential, there wasn't much opportunity for me to to then grow or develop. That's when I took the chance. And I think purpose alignment is really important because you can work for companies that uh, you're growing, but your purpose isn't aligned. And that can also make you feel really like, again, I've been in companies where that's been the case as well. So, it's just, I, I think is there growth potential? Is there a learning opportunity for you? Take it while you're working internally. Uh, Cause yeah, it will absolutely help you propel through that. That's probably a key point. Um, what else would I do? Probably, yeah, obviously just build more connections and, and network, but I think I did that to a pretty good degree. I just, I don't think there's anything else uh, I probably could have done more of, but yeah, I think okay. those are probably a couple of key things. That's great. Well, and I also wanted
0: to ask you because one of the things I think people need to do when they're exploring new options is I kind of say, like, learn into it, if you will, or, you know, to find out what might be next for them. And You are someone, and you've talked about this on Jenny's Pivot podcast, like you get into action, Leanne, and you've noted you tend to be willing to move forward without knowing everything and having everything in place, which is, I think, an unusual skill or talent in a way, because most people really want to have all their ducks in a row before they kind of take action, right? And so what gives you the confidence to kind of lean into things, if you will? Well,
1: it actually comes from not having confidence because how do you develop confidence? It's by actually taking action. This is, this is awful cycle. Unfortunately, like I wish you could say, cause how you can't will yourself or think yourself to confidence. You actually have to take the action. The good news is the things that I'm doing in my work in my life aren't, I don't think they're massive risks at all in terms of if I give myself perspective, it's so Um, And I don't really, I try not to attach my ego to it. So for example, I went to, I went on this trip to Vegas early this year and I came back and I I started a podcast, like this new podcast, I thought i will just do episode one, but there was no, like, I didn't say, oh, I'm now committed to do episodes every week. I just thought I'll give it a go. I'm creating this content because I want, I've got, I just have an avenue to to share my thoughts. I didn't assign any metrics to it. So in terms of success, how could I really fail with that? It's basically a cool, fun, a platform and and Kathy I think I just treat life like an experiment no one knows what will happen we got the biggest critic in our own head here um and it's funny like I push out I put content out on social media I think oh this is this is really valuable and and, you know it doesn't get a reaction and then the, the really ordinary stuff people seem to love like we we have no idea we're not our own audience so the only way you can test it out is to is to put it out there and you'll learn something from it as a result. You get better validation. You'll get better ideas. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I see it. I just view it as, as life is one big experiment.
0: I love that frame. And I think, you know, one of the things I've kind of learned through talking with others over the course of my doing this podcast too, is starting to, because you often hear from people when I ask them, what would you tell your younger self? What they would say is take more risks. And I think what I've learned over talking with people is that actually we really need to be taking risks always. And it's not actually... Um, just when you're young, but as you progress in your career. And I think it's really like, you're saying, well, is it a risk, you know? I mean, what's the size of that risk? Like, what can you experiment with? And I think it's, you almost need to shrink, like what, you know, if you do wanna try something out, how do you shrink what that risk is? And even you just sharing hey, I just want to test something out. You know, I'm not going to attach anything to it. Let's just see how it goes and see it as an experiment and kind of learn from it, which I think is really beautiful and and just takes the pressure off, right?
1: Well, I mean, we think that everyone's looking at us, but no one cares. Like actually no one cares. And, I, and you can take that two ways. Like, oh, no one cares. That's really sad. But I take it as no one cares. So, who, so let's just go for it. <laughs> like, I, I, even, I mean, I've got a, a community and, and everyone's like, people are scared of posting things on LinkedIn. It's like, I know what I'm like on LinkedIn. I'll just scroll, scroll, scroll. Like I'm not paying attention to all in the detail that we think everyone is looking at us. So yeah, I mean, we we tend to to shine the spotlight really hard on ourselves, but everyone is so worried about themselves. <laughs> so, So that makes it fun. Yeah For sure.
0: Well, and I was just reflecting with on um, with some other folks on. I've just recently received some feedback from people, and it comes out of nowhere. Where all of a sudden somebody will say like, "Hey, thanks so much for doing that podcast episode. That was great." Or I just got a review on this on this show, and I was like, I was really sh- shocked by it and really pleased by it, and like, wow, I'm th- so thrilled that somebody has been positively impacted and is taking that away. Or somebody said like, oh, I'm so grateful for everything you post on LinkedIn. I really love all the content you, you put on there yet. I've never seen her like anything. I've never had a comment on it. Right. So you, to your point, you don't always know where, how things are landing or where the value is just because, you know, you're not getting some t- piece of, you know, feedback or return.
1: Yeah, actually, talking about LinkedIn, a friend of mine was saying, "Oh, how do you can?" It was basically an opening discussion around how do you consistently put out content. Like it's it's hard work; it's a lot of time investment. And my response to that was like, "I, it's not about the likes or the again, I'm not about the metrics or the likes, but it's more about if I am I learning by putting this out, am I reinforcing knowledge by putting it out?" And it's, it sounds very selfish, but it's what gets me over the hurdle of creating content is. Is it in my own interest to do this? Like, am I reinforcing something? Will it be of value to anyone else? And that's how I see it. I, I, so that gets me over the bump um, as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that comes back to that personal branding piece as well, but also I am kind of hearing in that too, Leanne, that experimentation kind of coming through as well for you. Um, I wanted to come back to you cause I, you talked about the new podcast and work and live large. And I wanted to just learn a little bit more and hear, have you share a little bit more about that in terms of like, what's the impact and kind of contribution you're hoping to make with that current work and with the conversations you're having there.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, like the tagline to that is I help you imagine what's possible is possible for you. So I really want to talk to just people that are doing really cool things with their life and also recognize that they're just like you and I. But And I think the perception is that when we see these people that are doing great things or great businesses, or like I've had an Olympian on there. And yes, it did feel like a bit of a TED talk when I was talking to him, but this was a guy just from my high school. And what he's doing is not, it's, yeah, it, the whole simple versus easy um he's doing these things these daily things and it's like we could all do it it just requires us to be uh, aware that it is possible and I think a lot of the time we seem to negotiate it in our own minds against ourselves like I, I might think oh I could run a marathon and then my second thought is like I could never do that like we're automatically dismissing it in our own mind before we've even had a chance to test it or see what that would look like so I guess the aim of the conversations um are to really share look we can all and, and live large that means different I'm not saying like let's all get Lamborghinis and fly all around the world it's, it, it's it's whatever your context is whatever that looks like for you how can you expand what you're doing and actually back yourself a bit more um because we have a tendency to be our own worst enemy and and, and the reason I do it look same as my first podcast first time Facilitator, is I need to, I need this message more than anyone else out there so it's scratching my own itch um yeah to encourage that
0: Yeah. Well, and you had shared that like in First Time Facilitator, you were starting to learn that people kind of can't get, they get in their own way, as you were just saying. And, you know, it's almost like they can't, they don't trust their own judgment or they don't like getting back to that confidence piece again, or having the security to kind of move towards what they really want. So did you hear things like... In your conversations, like that, were kind of common in terms of what tend to get in people's way. Is it just the their own thoughts in their own head, or is it having too high of expectations, or what tends to get in the way for everyone?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's, it's absolutely um, both of what you mentioned. I think uh, when I and I when I reflect on my own experience as a first time facilitator, I just would see these incredible facilitators, and then I I know I was like, oh well, I'm here, and the gap is this. So, but at the same time, same as what we spoke about before, about life as an experiment, you can't will yourself to get better as a facilitator. You actually have to put in the effort and get time on your feet. Um, so, I think it for me, the switch came was that I loved just being in workshops as a participant. I was that type of person that would put my hand up and constantly like respond to questions and get involved in the activities. Uh, and then I went to one workshop and I was like, oh, I, I reckon I, I, I haven't learned anything here. I reckon I could have run it. So then there came a point where it's like you hit a threshold where it's like, I feel like there's an opportunity here, but yet then then there's there's a new gap between standing up at the front of the room and and running those discussions. Um, So I think, yeah, back to your point, there's there's a couple of things. It's what does it take to be a good facilitator? And so in that conversation, in all those 200 conversations, I share like attributes. But also the good thing is that facilitators come from so many different backgrounds And it's pulling what you like and what resonates with your own style and making it your own. So I think just having that confidence to to back yourself in terms of your own ability and that you have a voice and your unique style can bring something in and recognising that the diversity facilitators, no one goes to facilitation school really. Um, We're all just people that want to uh, highlight group dynamics. So yeah, it's a bit of both. Well, what
0: I hear you saying in that, I don't know if this is where what you meant, Leanne, but I was kind of almost sensing that because I've been doing a little bit of facilitation of late and stepping back into that as you know we come out of the pandemic, and I'll admit this is something I think I'm still working on, which is like kind of what's your shtick? You know, it's kind of you are a performer in some ways up in front of the room and you know, I think that one of the things that people don't realize, including myself all the time is like, we are always like essentially facilitators (laughs) through in terms of how we are showing up out in the world or not to put too much pressure on all of us, but you know, in terms of even, especially in any type of work environment where you are as a leader or a participant, how are you showing up in that room and how are you participating and how are you, um, You know, do you have the wherewithal, if you will, to kind of, like you're saying, back yourself, even even as a participant, right? To step forward and kind of show up the way that you wanna show up.
1: Mm, Yeah, and I think the difference between being a first-time facilitator and what you are talking about is that energy shift. So when I was a first-time facilitator, I thought it was all about 100% on the content. Is the content good enough? My structure was like to the minute. I had everything perfect. Um, but now, like as I've progressed, I've sort of been, uh, and Michael Bungay Stanier talks about being like a lazy facilitator, like a lazy coach, and like actually letting the group come to it as well. And the scary thing about facilitation is you cannot predict what's going to happen in the group. But it's, it's the same thing with life. And so you, you're you're having to be very agile and navigate it as well. Um, and just to point around, back to Michael Bungay Stanier, I, I saw him uh, present run a workshop down in Sydney the other week and we we're talking about authenticity. And he said, am I being authentic up here? And he's like, no, this is a performance. Like, I'm not like this at home. I am stepping up the energy. And so, yeah, you're right. You've got to think about in this context, what is the right energy for me to perform with, but retaining elements of who you are. That's mm. that's that's not easy. Mm,
0: yeah. Well, and I wanted to see if you had some thoughts on this from a like a, we've been talking about even for yourself, just even starting a podcast, that was a personal branding kind of, you know, act activity, if you will, you might not have seen it as such when you first did it, but I was kind of curious, you, you know, I, I often quote Jeff Bezos, not because I like to quote him, but I think this quote is a good one, which is your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And, you know, you help leaders create engaging experiences and help them to show up powerfully in rooms I'm imagining. And so I'm curious, like as we're talking about this and maybe I took it too far, cause you're right, like a facilitator, when you're stepping into that, it is a different, you are operating in a different capacity. So maybe maybe I took that kind of analogy a little too far, but in this case, do you, I'm curious if you have any tips for people as they think about how they show up just as their best selves so that they really can express their brand in a room.
1: Yeah, well, I think it depends on what brand you want to portray. So first, the first question would be asking yourself, you know, who who do I want to, like, who is this person I want to share with the rest of, of the world? And then thinking, like, what are those words and phrases and how then do I represent that in terms of my behaviours? And I think we often draw to personal brand as being, oh, like, the way that you communicate. But we communicate in so many nonverbal ways. So, I mean, like, how responsive are you on email reflects the brand? Uh, are you early to a meeting? Do you show up on time? Like how, Like, so there's all these... We are constantly on show without actually being on show. And I think um is Jordan Harbinger, he says, you've made a first impression before you've even entered a room. So it's not even about your physical presence. It's like literally the way that you're operating and through the touch points and the interactions that you have all the time. Are you smiling when someone enters your Zoom call? Like we could just, there's there's like hundreds of different ways that you can represent your brand. And the unfortunate thing with all these touch points is you can have all these positive ones and then have a negative experience, and then that can really have a detrimental impact on that. In terms of like, I'm just reflecting on my own experience working with a global company and how I built that. I just do different things. Like, so, and something I talk about my podcasts a lot is about contrast, when you bring contrast in a workshop and actually being a little bit different to, if you want to, like looking at standing out, so often like my best work was done even before work started, right? So I'd get in at seven o'clock in the morning. I'd sit at a cafe outside the office. I would just wait for people to walk past and just talk to them and, and just find out, you know, just how was their weekend and, and everything else like that. And that was all about developing relationships, like digging the well before I got thirsty. And I don't want it to be sounding transactional, but once you've built up a relationship, then you can start, you know, when you need people's help to or support to influence something, um, you've got that. Just one tiny example of just, yeah, yeah, just and being, but there's this constant pressure to have conversations and add value. And I, I think, I don't think adding value means like giving them a helpful article. It can be, you, know, you make them feel good. Just adding value is making someone's day, checking in on them, reflecting back on them, like giving them recognition. Those are ways to add value that don't require you to be like a content expert um, as well.
0: I really love that because one of the things you talk about, and I was curious if whether or not this would actually apply in kind of an individual personal context, Leanne, which is you talk about attraction marketing and you believe in attraction marketing. And if, you know, if my understanding of attraction marketing is kind of like you, you provide value so that, and you demonstrate value. So you kind of are attracting people to you, right? Or you put value out there, say through content. And so therefore you're attracting people to you. Is there you just shared a great example of that in terms of like providing value to somebody on a one-on-one level. Is that, is that how you see it? And can you expand on that
1: at all? Yeah. I, I, attraction marketing isn't about us at all. And I think that's, and it's kind of like charisma as well. It's never about us. So there's this famous cricketer in Australia. He passed recently. Um, his name was Shane Warren, super famous, very charismatic. I actually ran into him about three weeks before he, he passed away. Um, and I remember meeting him at the airport and he was one of my favorite cricketers growing up. And the whole time he, I, I'm a super fan and I'm like, Oh, Shane is such a legend. And, and he was just asking me questions about my trip. And just, again, it was all about me, not about him at all. And I, I just really reflected on that in terms of the attraction we all have for him, the charisma that he demonstrated. But I think that it comes out to like how you're making people feel. Um, and, yes, this comes through, like you can scale it through, as you said, Kathy, like providing value in terms of your content. But when you talk about attraction marketing, you want to actually attract people that you resonate with as well. So I know that if I can just be my, I'm a little bit quirky. I have some like, uh, I, you know, just, I don't take life too seriously. And I attract those types of people, um, to, to my community that just want to challenge and disrupt and question things that are going on. So in order to attract that type of person, I've got to demonstrate that. I've got to role model it through everything that I do. So that comes down to like the way that I comment on people's posts, um, uh, yeah, in terms of the way that I show up in, ter- in my podcast. Uh, and sometimes it's hard, like when you're writing a post, to crack out of that corporate speak. But I got to remember that actually I'm just going to you know. Would this make me laugh if I read it? Okay, that's a good sign to to click post
0: hmm mm-hmm. So you have kind of these checkpoints for yourself in terms of like, how do I want to be showing up and and who am I trying to attract to kind of my community and who do I want to be? Um, what community do I want to be a part of is what I hear you saying in that as well.
1: I think it's on an added subconscious level because I, I really don't overthink it. Like I'll just mm. click post. <laughs> <laughs> and I think after three years of doing it, I've got got it to a good stage, but right at the beginning, yeah, you're probably right. I was asking those questions, but now I'm just like, ah, oh, look, I've got, stop, stop, Leanne, stop wasting time on this post. Like just get, you got, you. have to start your day, just click it and see what happens. And see what yeah. happens.
0: See what yeah. gets back to that experimentation piece. Let's yeah, see yeah, yeah. 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 I also wanted to ask you, I wanted to come back to, you know, you really champion people dreaming bigger and you say not projecting the past into the future. Like how do you get people to kind of widen their vision and kind of see things bigger
1: for themselves? That is, I mean, that, Uh, So that was something that Alan Weiss, I'm part of Alan Weiss's community, and he told me that last year, it really struck me. Um, But he was talking in the context of business strategy, and then I took it to my own life. (laughs) So I did something called the champagne and cheese strategic thing for myself, where I got a balcony at the back of our house and just wanted some blue sky thinking. And you're right, because a lot of the time when we look at planning, we just think about, okay, what have I achieved so far, and how can I get 5 or 10% better? And that's not exciting. Like I want a rapid improvement or I want some like dramatic I don't know, like I'm really driven by like the fact that life is too short. So so how do you do that? You've really just got to cast away um and and stop the criteria. And anytime you hear like if you're brainstorming an idea or a goal or something you want to achieve, and there's some internal dialogue saying you can't do that. Just write it down anyway. Like you actually just have to say, thanks for that thought, but I'm going to park that and I just want to get into a state and flow. So one way of doing that is, again, just to get into a different environment, get out of your office, go somewhere else. I like going outside. It's where I connect best. Um, even putting a timer on for five or ten minutes and to say, for this time, no constraints are coming in right now. I'm just going to, to be fluid and just put these ideas down. Um, so that's probably the first step is just, is just going through that process and seeing what lands and then, you know, having a bit of a break and coming back to it and seeing if you can add to it. And then of course the planning part comes in with, all right, if that's where I want to go, what do I need to get there? But start with first casting that vision.
0: I love that. And it's kind of that, that brainstorming freeform brainstorming where it's, you're not censoring yourself. You're not saying, you know, you're not really worrying about execution. I was just you know, Mm -hmm. reading something recently uh, with a cognitive scientist who was talking about the fact that, you know, even oftentimes actually brainstorming is best done by individuals on their own before they kind of bring in. And so that diverging is actually better to do on your own. And then the converging actually better when you bring people together. And I think people don't recognize that or realize that that's a good way to go. And so they, they wouldn't necessarily think to do exactly what you just described Leanne, which is like, give yourself that freedom to kind of diverge and play without having any constraints.
1: Yeah. And often we just, we diverge and converge at the same time. So exactly. You've got to separate it and it isn't, you've got to get into a state where you can do that. And I think movement is really important. And I I don't know about you, but like anytime I'm running or on a walk and the physical act of moving helps me create these like crazy ideas, but I, I can't be stationary. I've got to, uh, there's s- something in that.
0: I love that. I actually do think there's science to that. I'm I'm pretty sure. I know I've yeah. read it, and it's just like I don't have the like source at my fingertips. But I am the exact same way, and I'm like one of those people that has like my notes app. I actually annoy myself because I'm like taking sound recordings and you know what have you, and you can hear me running in the background when I go <laughs> back to listen to them because all these ideas start to flow when you got the endorphins going. So mm-hmm. yeah, body and movement, I think is super um, helpful for that. What you're describing to Leanne and that like you love to ideate. One of the things you shared with me is like, that's like one of your superpowers or, you know, a, a zone of genius for you. And I was kind of curious how, how you identified that for yourself. And, you know, if you had tips based on that, how, like, how do other people kind of, tap into or find their zone of genius and where they should really be. Like it's their talent, right? And some yeah. people might not know that term, but yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I think, um, again, it goes back to Jenny Blake's book, which is really a pivot, came at a pivotal time for me when I was, um, uh, just a small fish in a big pond. And I, I was just looking for all these jobs and I realized that I actually had to pay attention to, what I wanted. There's a funny quote. Um, my friend says the the grass is not is never greener on the other side. It's just another shade of brown. And I know that sounds kind of negative, but what it means is we. I think a lot of time we look for other jobs because we want to fill a gap. Whereas if we just start looking at ourselves and planting in our strengths, then we can recognise what what is most useful for us. So I go back to that plant stage of Jenny's book, and it was identifying. When I lose track of time, I, I did like just an audit through my week as I was looking through meetings, which ones am I most excited about? And they were the ones where it was like, let's think about a new solution for, or and it was always like an open question that I was answering. And then my favorite type of coffee is when people are like, hey, what do you think? Or like, how can we name this? And so it was actually, it was um, a conscious decision to figure out what, yeah, answer those questions. And I so so those are very helpful. Like when do you lose track of time? Um, when you look at your calendar, what ex, what meetings excite you, et cetera. Um, and there's a good Tim Ferriss activity I'll share as well. I shared um, I shared with a few people. It's like going back, I went back to my calendar last year, 2021, and for every week I wrote down what were the meetings that gave me joy, which ones sucked my energy, and I've actually created two lists. I've got them right up in my office here, i've got a not to do list so things that i will not not do <laughs> okay so, and i have it like front and center cuz i say yes all the time and then on the other side it's like what what meetings what opportunities will i optimize for so yeah just but i love that way of just making it quite logical and writing it down I love that.
0: And really taking the time to reflect and look back and kind of say, because that's really, it does require that for you to pause and kind of really think about like, where am I getting energized? When am I most excited? And I love that review of like going back through your week and really seeing seeing that and kind of putting your yes and no list together, essentially to guide, like, where do you want to put your time and energy? I think that's
1: super helpful. Uh, It's... It's quite alarming when you look through your calendar and you see where you spent your time. And I think that's why reflection, as you said, that was a 30-minute activity. Um, but gosh, it's been worth it in terms wow. of making my decisions. Yeah, That's
0: pretty amazing because I think most people, again, they think that all, a lot of this takes a lot of time. Right. In that, you know, I just can't carve out time to kind of think about that. And then, but imagine just investing 30 minutes to be able to get really clear on like, what are your energizers? What are your drainers? And to guide where you're going to start to put boundaries around like the kind of work you're going to do. I think that's huge. So Yeah. And
1: I think um, just on that, cause I, so I always put a time, I'll be like 30 minutes and I'll put a timer on. So at least I've got a constraint of time and it won't go on indefinitely. But the other thing is I, I like your show is about creating joy. I think, how can I make this a joyful experience? So again, moving to a different place, like putting some cool music, a, a candle, whatever it is, like, what is it that will help me enjoy this process if I'm resisting it?
0: Mm. Mm. Well, that's a good tip. I wanted to kind of end Leanne with some rapid fire questions if I could. Um, and, and I'm going to build on one of the tips that you just offered. So uh, I wanted to start with just how do you define success for yourself in this moment? Am I having fun? Mm. And what's your current ambition?
1: Uh, my current ambition is to, continue the work that I do, but encourage at a senior level within organizations, because a lot of the work that I'm doing is, it's effective, but I think we need to really influence the senior leaders, change makers in organizations, because they have the impact to then carry it out within a business. So that's, that's my ambition.
0: Mm,
1: love that. Do you have a recent favorite work or life hack? I, I've got to promote the tool Descript. It is Unbelievable. Have you heard of it, Kathy? Descript? I've heard of it, but I, oh. I don't know enough about it. Can you tell us really quickly what that is about? Well, for any, like I do a lot of like media, uh, video, audio, and uh, I love sort of posting things. Um, what Descript does is in, in terms of editing a video, you, you actually edit the text. So you upload a video, it, it creates a text transcript. If you delete a sentence out of that, it will edit the video so the sentence is, is gone. It's just a fun joyful tool to use. Probably too joyful. I I, I probably use it too much because I just enjoy it so much. But Descript is very powerful. Oh my
0: gosh. That just says their tech team and product team did an amazing job of creating something. Talk about joy. Um, That's amazing. What's your favorite way to take a break or pause? Go for a walk. Do you have a motto that you like to reference or live by? Uh, Yeah. Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. That's a Jim Rohn quote. Mm. and what's one thing you can't live without
1: I was going to say my dogs but you know they're getting old now so that's going to be a bit scary but my absolutely my dogs I think they help keep me more present um like keep me active they they keep it real like anytime I've had a stressful situation or I'm worried about a presentation all I think about is well at the end of this I'll still have my like my husband and my dogs will still love me so so they've been really powerful particularly like during COVID and just yeah best buddies
0: Yes, love it. Um, well, this has been great, Leanne. Thanks so much for being on with me. I had just one final question for you before I ask you where people can find you and get get in touch with you. So just do you have a final kind of takeaway for people if they want to live and work large?
1: Yeah, I think it reflects probably on the theme of this conversation is just treat life as an experiment. None of us has certainty in what's going to happen in the next five minutes, the next 12 months. And and you can have, you know try to just cast yourself, all those doubts away, treat life like an experiment and just try and get validation from the actions that you take and are putting out to the world. Love that. And I
0: love this theme that you've carried through of the experimentation and frankly, just modeling for that for us, Leanne, because I know watching you do what you do, you're an inspiration for me. And I think um, you're an inspiration for all of us to kind of step into that. So what can we do for you? And where can people find you if they'd like to get in touch and and potentially work with you or follow you and and, and hear your podcast?
1: Awesome. Yeah. So, um, my, well, LinkedIn, uh, you can see us, Kathy and I experiment on there, (laughs) um, as well as my website, which is leannehughes.com and the podcast we spoke about before first time facilitator and work and live large. And if anyone wants to inspire, I mean, just do something and let Kathy and I know that you've done it. Um, that would be the ultimate. We'd love to see you take action.
0: Oh, I love that. Yes. So to encourage people to experiment themselves and tag us and let us know. I love that. Awesome. And I will, of course, capture that all in the show notes. This has been great, Leanne. I really appreciate you being on with me and I love the conversation. We'll keep it going Um, offline.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Thanks so much, Kathy. Love talking to you. Thanks, Your questions are wonderful and really made me think. Thanks for listening to this
0: episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.